Good morning, Ms. Andrews. Good morning. Just to lighten things up for a few minutes this morning, okay? You mentioned at one point yesterday that when you're on the sideline, people will say things. And I asked you, you mean coaches and players? Remember that? Yeah. Okay. So, have you received a lot of emotional support from players and especially from coaches? I have. Can you explain to the ladies and gentlemen, when you use a name, tell them what school or something you're looking like on Okay. Um, that obviously means a lot to me to get respect and support from men and, and women and athletes in the community and when this first happened and I had said yesterday I was acting a lot like a hermit just hiding in my parents house athletes and coaches I thought never really cared or even knew who I was were leaving messages and text messages LSU head football coach Les Miles uh, left me a voicemail and said please don't quit please come back please fight this we can't lose you in our sport. Um, Roy Williams, North Carolina head basketball coach, called and just said, I need to know you're okay. I, I need to know you're all right. And what do you need? <coughs> Got a call from John Calipari, Kentucky basketball coach last night, and said, love you, thinking about you, proud of you, girl. Things like that. Means a lot. Yesterday, uh, I gave you a bunch of words. Remember that? Yes. Like embarrassment and humiliation and so forth. Those things, uh, did those issues that you mentioned, did they end at some point in time or are they still ongoing for you? They're still ongoing. So, Initially, when this all came to light and you were going through this initially, and you went through the interview with the FBI, you did the uh, Oprah interview, you started up on college football again, you were turning down the invitations from dancing. I felt like there was just so much attention on it already and I felt like I walked into a room and I was already different. I told Urban Meyer, who was the head coach of Florida at the time, that I just walked into the coaches' offices to sit down and talk with about offense and defense and I felt like everybody was looking at me like they had seen the video. And I, I just wanted to do everything I could to be normal again and I felt like if I could ignore it, maybe everybody else could. 
And if I could throw myself back into football and basketball and baseball, then maybe everybody else would forget it happened. I knew I needed to go talk to someone. I knew it was the right thing to do, but I just kind of thought if I just kept pressing on and if I did as many football games in one week as possible, then it, it would all be okay. So, were you repressing things a bit? Yes. Okay, so, did there come a point in time where you did decide to seek some counseling? Yes. And when was that? I don't remember dates. I just remember that we had found out as a family that Barrett had been released from jail and he had been out for potentially a month and no one told us. And I had always said in the back of my mind and maybe to my mom and dad and sister, as soon as he gets out, I, I'm gonna go seek help. I, I'm gonna go talk to someone. But for right now, like, let's just keep working. Let's keep pushing through. Let's keep doing this and, and I'll be okay. I know I can do this. Let's just worry about Let's worry about Florida, Georgia this weekend. And we got a call that he was out of jail. And I remember I was living in New York City at the time, and I called my mom and dad, and just things, I just knew things weren't right in my life. I just knew I wasn't myself. I was picking fights with my family. I was just irritable. I was nasty. It wasn't myself. My relationships with my friends weren't the same. And I called my parents and I said, I need to go talk to someone, like I'm still so screwed up. And that's when I decided to do it. Okay, so that would be like a couple of years after he was sentenced? Yes. And were you there at the sentencing hearing? Yes. And did you speak out against it? I did. So over the course of that time, leading up to when you first sought psychotherapy, did you continue to develop your career the best you could? It's the only way I could push forward. I mean, you see me up here. The second we start talking about this, I start crying. But the second I can talk about sports or dancing with the stars, I just I flip the switch. It's my happiness. It's my escape. And I've been overcompensating in my life, and I admit that. I feel like if I can do the top NFL game, and if I can work the World Series, and I can pass out the trophy, then people will forget. I feel like if I can go and compete on Dancing with the Stars and make it to the finale and host the show and have all these things on my plate, as much as I can do in my life, then people will forget, and hopefully I'll forget. Have you been able to forget? No. Over the course of the last year since 2009, as you've been doing everything you can to continue to develop your career? It's all I know how to do. It's all I want to do. During all that time and all that work, has everybody else forgotten? No. You still get those messages and tweets and catcalls? Yes. Okay, so at the time that Barrett was released, where were you living? I was in New York. Okay. And so did 
who did you go see for the therapy? I went to Dr. Er, Warren Comstock. Did Warren Comstock give you psychotherapy? I'll be really honest with you. I have, I went to her, I first asked for help from someone that I worked with that had referred a therapist to go talk to someone. I had, it was somebody that worked for my publicist and I just said, I'm living in New York, it's time. I know I need to go talk to someone. Do you know of anyone? I was also really worried. I didn't want to go talk to somebody and then, I don't know, I mean, all I've been subjected to in my life is this exploding all over the internet. I have obviously trust issues. I didn't know who to trust. And my publicist said, we know of this woman that other people have spoken very highly of and she'd love to have you come sit down with her. So the doctor, the titles, I don't know. I don't know if it's called psychotherapy. I just know that I really like talking to her. She didn't judge me. I felt like I wasn't having to call my mom and dad and burden them and have them think I wasn't okay. It wasn't some, my sister where I then knew she'd call my mom and dad and be like, she's not okay. I didn't want to bother my friends about it because I'm the strong one. I'm the one that talked to her. Okay, so um, over what period of time, about how long did you counsel with your I don't remember the actual time, but I know, unfortunately, a lot of it happened during football when I was traveling back and forth. I was living in New York, but I was also working, at this time I was with Fox Sports already, and I was traveling to New York to do a studio show on Saturday morning, and then right on Saturday afternoon, I'd jump on a plane and go do an NFL game. So I would leave New York on Thursday and come back to New York on Monday. So really, yeah. During football, I struggled getting to see her. Okay. So did you have some visits in person, some on the telephone? How did that go? Yes, some on the phone and some in person in her office. All right. And, and how did that help you? Why don't you explain that to us? From your perspective, none of us have had what happened to you happen to us. You tell us. It was just a different ear, a different person to talk to. It wasn't like I felt like I was worrying about my mom and dad and their health and them having to listen to me. I was trying to put on a brave face for my family. I don't want them to think I can't do this, live my life. It's not my sister. I love my sister. She's my best friend, but she would tell my mom and dad. It was just somebody that wasn't judging me. Sorry. She's a woman. I loved that. She's kind of into sports. We kind of talk about the insecurities and just how what I was feeling and we'd relate it back to sports and that's what I know and I love. It's just having somebody to talk to about what I was doing. She saw a couple of times that I'd come into her office a little panicked about things that were on the internet because I just signed with Fox and I was worried that like there were in some of the articles, well you, of course Fox would want to hire her. She's the one that had the hotel incident. She saw me one day when I walked into her office, just panicked about it. I'm like, here we go again. And I was, I was glad she got to see me, you know, raw and, and like this because it was an example of what I was going through and, and how I would freak out about it. So, um, yeah, it was just nice to talk to someone that I knew wasn't, would just listen. And did she explain to you what the problem was or what, what it is? Do you remember that? Did you ever talk that way about it? 
give you a diagnosis, anything like that? To be very honest with you, I don't remember much. I obviously watched her testimony. I know she had said I, I was depressed. I know she said I was very anxious, obsessive, embarrassed, humiliated. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, heard that too. So. Yes. Okay. So, did Dr. Comstock, as she said, let me withdraw. With regard to medications, did, uh, did Lauren Comstock ever suggest to you that you might want to take medication? She had asked if I needed any medication, and she said if I did, then obviously she could help me get some. And I, that just wasn't something that interests me. So did you decline medication? I did. Did you pay her bills yourself? I did. So then, did there come a time when you were no longer treating with Lauren Comstock? Yes. And why is that? When did you get I, I moved to California, and we tried to do some phone sessions, and it just it wasn't working out. Also, I, I you know started living in California, and again I thought it was great. I thought you know what we're good, everybody's great. Let's, you know got this new job with Fox and working on the NFL. We're good. So I, I finished going to her. So backing up to her one more time. Yes. Why was it that you declined to? start taking medication. Could you explain to them in terms of your own feelings and background? I felt I could do this without medication. I want to be sharp. I want to be on it. I, I just didn't want any assistance. I felt like, you know what, I can do this. I, I've got this on my own. So, after moving to California, <clears throat> did you start doing some therapy again with somebody else? I did. Dr. Dupay. And uh, was that helpful for you? Again, I, I just like talking to somebody. Wasn't my parents, wasn't my sister, wasn't my boyfriend, it was just somebody on the couch. And so about how long were you having the therapy with Dr. Dupay? I don't remember timelines. I'm so bad at that. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, was it sometimes in person and sometimes on the phone? I never really talked to her on the phone. I would talk to her if I was feeling anxious and I was out of town, but we did our sessions in her office. All right, so let's move to a new subject a little bit. Okay. We talked about how you competed on Dancing with the Stars and came in ahead of Chad with the Pinko. Um, but there came a point where Dancing with the Stars asked you to become the host along with Tom Bergeron, correct? Yes. Yes. About when did that happen? I think, again, my, I can give you a sports. It was after my Richard Sherman interview. It was after Seattle beat 
It's when the year Seattle won the Super Bowl, when Seattle beat San Francisco in the NFC Championship. So I, four seasons ago, potentially two years, we do two shows in a year. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. Um, I know what the Richard. <laughs> Some of the people on the jury do, but some don't. Was this after a game where he had a really good game and he's a tremendous defensive back? And he, you were doing a sideline interview and he kind of was like, boom, and you were like, boom. Is that the interview you're talking about? Yes. Okay, I know that boom doesn't say very much, but it's kind of expressive the whole thing, right? Legion of boom, but um, yes. All right, so they contact you, and uh, did you become the co-host of Dancing with the Stars? I did. And are you doing that still today? I am. Um, so now, your career, you've been continuing to work the sports side, and you also got to the Dancing with the Stars, right? Yes. You know, many of the people on the jury in the community would have seen you on TV at various events, all dressed up and looking really glamorous and interviewing people on the red carpet. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Um, is that part of the work that you do in your career to be glamorous and beautiful like that? I was told not to roll my eyes on the stand, but whenever somebody says I'm glamorous, it's like, come on, really? Sorry, Bruce. But I just, for me, it's it's part of the job. I mean, let's be honest. We, we go to promote our show, Dancing with the Stars. You know, we're up against some pretty heavy competition on Monday night, so we, they want us to go to these events. Sometimes, I, who doesn't want to come to Nashville and do the CMTs? Absolutely, I love country music. You know, I want those guys love college football. You want to be around them. Um, yeah, it, it's work, and sometimes it's really fun. But it's just, honestly, it's part of the job. That's why when you say glamorous and red carpet, it's funny. It's it's work to me. Okay, understood. Um, so the red carpet—that's where you're like interviewing people that are coming through as they go to events? I've worked the red carpet for Good Morning America at the Oscars, um, and then I, I've, I've done interviews and, and posed on the red carpet half the time, rolling my eyes and being like, can we just go? But yes, I have. Okay. And in fact, if we roll back the sands of time again to the week before you became aware of this, video in July of 2009. Have you actually worked the red carpet that week? I worked the red carpet uh, the night before I found the video for the ESPYs, yes, which is the sports award show by ESPN. What do you understand the plan of treatment is going forward now for you. What do you understand in your state of mind what you're going to be doing to do your best to deal with this? 
I feel like for me, because I've been someone that it's twofold. I I feel like I can do it. I'm fine. Let's let's go work three football games a week. Let's try to take care of this. I know I'm not fine, and that it's something I struggle with because I've always been the independent woman in the male-dominated industry. I'm I'm Teflon. I nothing affects me. I can do this. My understanding for me is always have to go get treatment for this. Always go need to talk to somebody about this because this will always be on the internet. This will always be there. There will always be a reminder every single day. And it's really sad because I was remembering yesterday just we were talking about the tweets I get, the still images and the nasty comments that people make. Not even the nasty comments. Remember the first time, you've obviously seen the bond I have with my dad. Remember the first time a dad came up to me and said, I want my daughter to be like you. I want her to like sports. I want, to have, I want my daughter to be able to talk about me like you do with your dad. How do I do that? And you know, I just said, I don't know. <laughs> Introduce her to the sports teams. Have her sit on the couch with you. And he's like, you know, you're, you're a mentor. You're a role model to little girls. And I thought, don't say that. I'm not that old. Um, but whenever dads say that to me, that really hits home. But I think the thing that's really hit home for me and hurts me the worst is when girls, high school, college, they tweet me and they say, I want to be Aaron Andrews except for the Marriott stalker thing. And I can't control that. And that's every day. That doesn't get better. Please. Yes. You plan in the face of getting every up every morning. Well, let me ask you: When you get up every morning, do you think about the fact that people are looking at you on the internet naked? I think about it every day. I can't tell you if it's in the morning, but every day. One of the worst thoughts I have is when I walk around a stadium. Obviously, you can tell I am jacked up to be at a stadium. Sometimes officials have to pull me off. Like, I'm on the field, and they're like, back up, back up. I'm, this is my comfort zone. I, I love it there. But then there's a the time that, you know, Tony Romo breaks his collarbone, Dallas Cowboys quarterback. I have to run over to the other side and check out, is he okay? What's he saying to the trainer? And there's always that thought as I walk right by the fans, and you're as close to me as they are to me, and I think, my God, everyone in the stadium has seen that video. I'm like, all right, let's think about Tony Romo now. Let's get back to Tony Romo. How's his collarbone? So in the face of thinking about this every day, and as you said yesterday, having an impairment to your daily life every day from this, um, are you going to keep working your career as hard as you can? I have to. One little piece of information. You mentioned, I think, yesterday, all of the activity on social media about 
about this that's ongoing for you, about the Marriott video. Uh, for those who don't know, can you explain what social media is and how that works and why you are on it? So social media obviously is driven, gosh, I don't even know what my definition could be. It, in my mind, it's all the things, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. I have an Instagram, I have a Twitter account. I have a public Facebook account. I don't even work that. I wouldn't even understand how to. So I have a Twitter account and I have an Instagram account and they're public. You could follow me. Anyone could follow me. There are also people that have private accounts. It is very encouraged in my line of work and with everybody else that works in on Fox and ESPN and, and anywhere to have an account, to connect to your fans. We, we want to get viewers to watch our game. We want to remind people. I have a sit down with Cam Newton at one o'clock on the pregame show. Check it out. You know, I just sat down with Mike McCarthy and he's telling us what he's going to do against the Detroit Lions. It's a way to reach out with the fans. It's also fun sometimes, you know, if you see a little girl tweeting you and she has a question, what do I need to worry about? What classes do I need to take in college? Reach back out, you know. Don't take the meat we eat. It's not going to help you. Um, so it's a way to engage with fans. It's also a way to show fans, you know, what you're up to. And in my mind, I guess that's what social media is for me in my life. And so on social media, there are often comments about the National Marriott video. There are comments every single day on my Instagram account. I'll be in a, you know, in a, I'll do a flashback Friday of my outfit that I wore on Dancing with the Stars when I competed with Max. And it's like, well, how could you be so sad if, if you wore this on Dancing with the Stars? I'm not allowed to go have a life and compete on a show and, and have a good time and forget for two seconds that I wasn't called by a hotel for a person to come stay next to me. I'm not allowed to go live my life. And yet I still am not sad and suffering over this because I'm in my Samba costume. Yes, every single day there are comments, oh, you really look sad, or hey, I saw you doing this in a hotel room. You should pay the Marriott. You should pay Barrett every single day. So then, have you tried to live your life the best you can? Yes. Have you gone on vacation? Yes. Do you go to get-togethers with friends? Yes. Do you try to laugh and enjoy a social life? Yes. Do you have a boyfriend? I do. Okay. Let's talk about rolling back hands of time again, back to when this happened. Initially, <coughs> tell the ladies and gentlemen of the jury how you felt about dating. Embarrassed. Humili humiliated. Mortified. Lauren Comstock mentioned, I always have this baggage. I don't want to put speculation out there, but I feel like a lot of men say they just want an easy girl. They want a girl that they don't have a lot of drama. I have drama. And I don't want to talk about it. You know, I just want to like, act like I'm fine. Everybody's, you know, everything's good. And I feel bad because I, I always wonder before I met my boyfriend, is this something that go on a first date? 
God. Has he seen the video? Has his friend seen the video? Have, you know, he said, I'm taking Aaron Andrews out on the date. Did they say, oh yeah, see what happened during the Marriott? It's just all these obsessive thoughts and that's what I was going through. Okay, so at some point you met Jared, correct? Yes. All right, summarize that situation for the ladies and gentlemen. What would you like me to summarize? Well, not he became your boyfriend, correct? Yes. And he's a pretty well-known hockey player, correct? Speculation, yes. <laughs> um, okay. So, so um, how did you meet in when you can relate it to some sporting event if you want to? And how did it develop? Michael Strahan, um, who is a Hall of Famer, New York Giant, um, works on Michael and Kelly and also our Fox pregame show is, is a family member of mine. I like to say that. He's a big brother to me and a uh, good friend. I look up to Michael Strahan a lot. He, uh, he has done what he's done in the sports world and now he's doing what he's doing in the entertainment world and he's flawless about it. And he doesn't have much sleep doing it and I love, I love talking to, as I call him, Stray. He's a big brother. And um, I was working the World Series Tigers, Giants, and Stray said, I have a guy I'd like to take you out to dinner. What, would you mind? And I looked him up and I said, nah, I'm not interested. I, I don't really need that in my life right now. And um, finally talked me into it and I met him and here we are. So, uh, and do you all live together? Yes. Did you initially live together in Los Angeles? Yes. Uh, you still live in Los Angeles, correct? Yes. But do you spend some time in Minnesota too? Yes, he is now, he was with the Los Angeles Kings uh, for several years, eight years, and uh, we are now with the Minnesota Wild. He is with the Minnesota Wild. Right. Has what happened at that Marriott um, had any negative effect on any aspects of your relationship with him? Yes. All right. Explain. I feel really guilty. He didn't know me before this happened. And to try to explain to someone that has questions about why I have trust issues, why I'm insecure, why I'm humiliated, why I'm embarrassed, why I am obsessive about checking the internet. He doesn't understand. And he's an athlete. He's just like, you got, you got to move on. You got to go to the next game. You got, you got to leave it alone. Who cares what people think? And it's just not that simple. I feel sad because I think he would have loved the girl more. That was there before this happened, and I feel very guilty about that. I don't like to talk to him about this. I want to be the easy breezy girl. I want to be the cool sports reporter dancing with the stars host that he's so proud of. I don't want him to see this. Please. The good outweighs the bad in that world. Yes. And y'all are hanging in there together, right? We are. And he's very supportive of you? He is. And you're happy to have that relationship? 
very happy. So, if you're 37 now, now the whole world knows it. <laughs> Thanks. How old were you when this happened? 29. Really good math. So, do you ever consider the prospect of having children? Yes. And do you have any concerns about that? Oh, I wouldn't be human if I didn't have those concerns. Would you explain your concerns to the ladies and gentlemen? Oh, I'm 37. But like everything else, I feel like I can do it. And you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll tackle this. I'll do it. And what about talking with those children as they grow up? I think that was always my problem with starting a new relationship. And I said that to my mom and dad when I knew things were, when I knew Jarrett and I were going to start having a serious relationship. What he doesn't think about, but I do, is what happens when my kids come home from school and they're like, Mom, kids are saying you're naked on the internet. That's something that's always in my mind. And I'll always have to tell my kids, Mommy didn't do anything wrong. This is why this happened. This is who let her, this is who is accountable for this, and this is why it happened. And then the worst part is the other day, I think someone mentioned, is this still going to be an issue when you're 60? Who's going to explain it to my grandkids? Yes. So, I want to lighten things up again a little bit, okay? Please. Um, to the extent that this is light, I want to go back to that issue of medication. Okay. Um, at the beginning of your career, long before this Marriott video thing happened, at the beginning of your career, was there a point where you took some medication for something? I did. Okay, explain it to the lady. Warren Comstock in her testimony that you saw a couple days ago said it was with ESPN. I reread my deposition and I had first stated it was ESPN and then I came back later. It wasn't when I was with ESPN and I said that in my deposition. When I went from the Tampa Bay Lightning, my very first job out of college, I then was hired by Turner Sports. They had picked up college football and they were going to try college football. Um, and I was assigned to a couple games. and. I was actually assigned to the football package, and um, I was excited. I was pumped. This was national television, and uh, I would call my parents before the games in the morning. I remember a couple games. Stomach was just a little uneasy, and I had said something to my mom about it, and she said, you know, you go see your gynecologist, maybe just mention it to her. And I had mentioned when I went to the gynecologist, I said, my stomach's a little off. And she had mentioned, well, if you don't need something to calm me down, here's Lexapro. I took it for two games. I wasn't into it. I got more confident and realized it was just my first time being on national television doing sidelines. I got it. I'm fine. So that would have been around 2001, 2002, something like that? Yes. Sure. Okay. And, uh, so how, how many times did you take that Lexapro? I think one or two games. And did it help your stomach? No. Okay. 
another like positive subject um, was when you moved from ESPN to Fox. Yes. Okay, so this happened a few years after this Marriott video came out, correct? Correct. And uh, could you tell ladies and gentlemen of the jury what that switch meant and why it made you excited? I had been at ESPN for eight years, wonderful years. They groomed me and I really believe made me into the reporter that I turned out to be. Um, but there are other things I wanted, to, I wanted to try. I'd worked a ton of college national championship games. I had, you know, done the best of the best at ESPN. I really wanted to try the NFL. I just really wanted to be a part of it. And Fox could offer that. So um, had a contract nego negotiations with ESPN and Fox and then decided after eight years it was time to move on to Fox. So now you can do NFL games. Yes. And that's why the Richard Sherman interview happened, correct? Yes. Um, have you also been invited to do some of those talk uh, show things that are on television? I have. Um, I've co-hosted with Michael Strahan when Kelly Ripa is on vacation and uh, done those. I've also, you know, to promote Dancing with the Stars or to promote our NFL season, I've, I've gone on Jimmy Kimmel, I've gone on shows like that, Seth Meyers. I get to a hotel, no matter what city or state I'm in, I tell them I want to be room. I want to be moved from the room I was pre-booked in. I want to be moved. I also say if someone is asked to be next to me, they need to call me. I also ask um, for there not to be any phone calls placed to my room. I also tell them that I have a gentleman traveling with me. And I asked for, I put a name of a, a man traveling with me. I then go to my room alone. I will not allow anyone to bring bags up to my room at all. I will not allow them to put them in my room at all. I instantly cover the peephole. And then I do a check of the room. I look everywhere. I look for lights. I look for red lights. I look to see if there's cameras. I check the bed, I check the alarm clock, I check the phone, um, I booby trap my room, I put, I also will not see it in the adjoining room at all. And if I see, if a room is adjoining, I ask to be taken out. I'll walk back down there. Also, if it's very far, I'll walk back down as well. Um, 
trying to think what else. Do not disturb, um, even room service. I do not let them bring it in my room. I grab it. Um, and then when I'm in bed, I just try to like, I look at the air conditioning grate. I make sure there's no lights. I mean, I try to see if there's any cameras. The bathrooms, I look over pretty good just to make sure there's nothing, any sort of camera there. When you say you booty trap the room? <laughs> Sorry. Wait, that's okay. I put, um, I put a piece of paper down by the, the door so when I leave, if you know, someone comes into the room, I can tell. Just put something by it so if somebody walks in, I can just tell. Did you ever consent to being filmed like this? No. Did you ever consent to the hotel's actions that you've heard about in this courtroom? No. Did you expect the hotel when you went in there to protect your privacy? Yes. Did you expect the hotel to provide you security? Yes. You started to mention yesterday what the FBI told you about what they had discovered about what had happened at the hotel. What did they tell you? Objection, Your Honor. Hearsay. We have the plea agreement that has already been read to the jury. Can we frame, Your Honor? Did what the FBI told you verbally affect your mental state and your view of this whole situation? Yes. Why don't you tell us what they told you that affected your mental state? Objection, Your Honor. Same question. The uh, plea agreement has already been introduced. Overruled. You heard my dad talk about the night. First of all, let me tell you, when there's an FBI investigation, never had one in my life, you don't know what's going on. And I was already working college football, so I'm going away every weekend, well, I did two games a week, and I, I have no idea what's happening. I'm, I'm traveling and I'm trying to worry about, you know, Auburn, Tennessee, and I have no idea what's happening. We got a call the weekend that he was arrested, and they just said, just get ready. I don't know what that means. So it's Friday night. I think I had a noon or 1 o'clock game in Tennessee. And we got a call, and it was the U.S. attorney and a member of the FBI, and they said, we've got him. He's in custody. Okay. They said, we're just letting you know we're releasing an FBI report in a matter of minutes. It will be public record, so everybody will see this. Okay. I, how's Tennessee doing this season? Who's their quarterback? Oh, the FBI report's coming out. Okay. So we start looking at it. My dad and mom are on the phone. We start talking about it. U.S. Attorney, the FBI, they can't stay on the phone. Obviously, they're busy. 
<clears throat> start seeing what happened. What I learned from the FBI and what was in the FBI report is that he would call the hotel, Nashville Marriott, and say, is she there? Okay. I understood you're on the Okay, just a couple of more things. Get the hotel he called you on September 3 or September 4 of 2008 and said there is a man named Michael Barrett who wants a room next to you. Would you have done the same thing you told us about yesterday? Call the police and leave the hotel. Yes. Do you believe you will ever get over this? No. Thank you. I'll take a 10-50 minute Thank you. Thank you. All right.